Hi, Sophie. Sophie's coming into my cedar house here, my driftwood house that was made on the on the shores. I I know. Why 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 don't you go down to the water and just like chill? I'm telling a story here. Welcome everyone to our first podcast episode of Learning from Sharing, a series of voices on diversity, a podcast dedicated to sharing voices around Indigenous knowledges, LGBTQ2 plus knowledges, inclusion, and diversity. I'm your host, Yashnau Hanodiki Oroga. My name is Yashnau. I am from Skidigit, Haidegwai. I am the Indigenous programmer at Two Rivers Gallery, situated on the traditional unceded territory of the Tlaitli Tanay, also known as Prince George, British Columbia, Canada. Lynette Lafontaine, pronouns she, her, a two-spirit Otipimsawak artist, shares personal reflections on what getting her fire back means. She explores her personal journey of reclaiming, resurging, and mischief traditional values in the current context of healing, lateral violence, and a contemporary mixed-media art practice, formally and informally trained with mentors. Are you ready to get started? Let's dive in. Tanse kakiel, maskwa mustus kisago kaskuni segasen, egwa. Lynette Lafontaine, Nia Apitao Kosasan. I just said, hi everybody, how are you? My spirit name roughly translates as Bear Buffalo Northern Lights Woman. And my French name given to me at birth by my parents is Lynette Lafontaine. So before I get into sharing what I want to share with you all today. I just want to acknowledge that I'm on Quadra Island and I'm choosing to do this podcast here. It's a beautiful energy center on the territory I'm on. I'm beside the ocean. I'm sitting in a driftwood hut and I've just been taking my dogs on a walk. The sun is setting. It's not too windy and in my view are beautiful mountains some are snow-capped I recently experienced some pretty hard lateral violence and I've been doing a lot of personal reflection and one of them has been on the fire back I might need to just walk along the water and see how this works here because I have three three dogs who are feeling kind of antsy and you know how they hang around you they wait for you <laughs> I'm Métis and other words used for us or other terms that we call ourselves are Michif that's our traditional language as well as Otapemsawak that's the name that I use as an artist and it means we are the boss of ourselves another term that I just said is apitaokosasan which is like saying half sun and 
Some say perhaps that's where the term half-breed comes from, but that is not a very nice term. Um, We don't use that anymore, just kind of like Indians. And I'm also Two-Spirit. I'm a mixed-media artist. My preference is beadwork, first and foremost, but I love abstract painting on really large canvases. And sometimes I work with other fabrics or I like to mix the two media of painting and beadwork. As Otapemsawak were known as the flower beadwork people. That was nicknamed by our relations, the Lakota people, whom I have relations with as well. I also have kinship ties with Anishinaabe, Soto, Nahiyao, which is Cree, and Dene. I made tea for my late dad. He was born in Big River, Saskatchewan. And when he was two years old, his family moved to BC around 100 Mile. Uh, They followed the work of the forest industry. So my dad worked in the bush his whole life. He only made it to grade eight. And later on, I heard stories from one of his best friends who was also my my mom's first cousin, um, that he thinks it was due to racism and also the capacity of both their moms that, you know, they didn't really have anybody to advocate for them. But he believed that my dad was not allowed back into school due to being Métis. And my mom is mostly of French and Irish ancestry. So my mom is Lieta, birth name Poirier. Her dad grew up in Montreal. And my dad was Richard LaFontaine. And we recognize each other as Métis people by our last names. So I come from the LaFontaines, Prudens, Morins, Vandel, Marasti, Roy's, the Liberty, Lavallee, and there's more and so when anybody shares those names I can identify them as my relations and there are literally thousands of us so when we say we're cousins we're not joking and it is an ongoing joke that when we're indigenous that we have to know who our relations are because we could inadvertently date one of our cousins and so um Yeah, seven generations ago, John Peter Pruden from England, who worked for the Hudson's Bay Company, had relations with Nancy Henry from Norway House, Manitoba. And um, can't remember how many children they had together, but it's from their country marriage, as they called it, um, my Métis ancestry comes from. That's the Pruden line. And after the first rebellion, My family dispersed to northern Saskatchewan. But I'm still learning the Levante side. And I believe they might be from around the Turtle Mountain area. I learned from some elders who are Levantines that some of our relations were shipped via rail car and just from North Dakota and left in northern Saskatchewan. So as flower beadwork people, it tells me a lot of things. And I've been 
picking up these teachings for a very long time. So on an ancestor piece recently um, during the beating symposium in Winnipeg, I saw this, we, we all saw this embroidered pouch and on it was embroidered fire back. And it's really had me thinking a lot of what does that mean? So to have our fire, we could talk about my personal spiritual fire that I'm in charge of maintaining to keep myself strong. And then I can think of our cultural fires, which includes our language, our art, connection to land, kinship, all of those things. And as two-spirit people, I'm learning because we were allowed to go between the camps and because we had, you know, more than two genders, up of, upwards of seven genders in our society, um, we played a really big role in, in ceremony because of our unique lens in which we saw the world and it allowed us to walk in between in between the worlds and so my name also indicates that and I think as Métis people we walk between two worlds as well so beating has a lot of teachings as I've heard it it came from the Grey Nuns who first taught Métis women to embroider and then later when we had access to beads we use those same techniques as as we did with embroidery and so we bead embroider and it's not just women it's two spirit as well as men who bead and so I said to Yaslo even though I know that she would ask me some really good questions and we would have an amazing dialogue there's something about telling your story uninterrupted it's a lot like sitting in circle where you hold the feather the eagle feather and whoever has the feather has the floor and so I asked Yath now to hold the eagle feather so that I could tell my story uninterrupted and so I start with who I am and where I come from who my parents are I'm the eldest of three children. I was myself, my brother, and my sister. And my sister died suddenly in a car crash at age 21. And my dad also died suddenly of a massive heart attack at age 58. Many people in my family die young due to trauma. So I share with you really personal parts of myself because all these things are around taking my fire back and it's what I walk with as an indigenous person, as an Aheo Apitao Kosasan artist. And we carry, I know I carry a lot of trauma and intergenerational trauma. I also know that we have amazing resiliency because we're still here. And some people have described beating, in particular Amy Melbuff, that beating is resistance. Just the fact that I can still make art out of our traditional art forms is resistance. And resistance to the colonial 
way of life and cultural genocide. And so my generation, seven generations after the Red River, seven generations after the colonial state of Canada began, I am here to pick up all these pieces. My dad lived with a lot of shame. And it was really hard for him to walk in the world. He often used humor as a way to deflect racism and discrimination. And so I've taken a long way to get here. I worked nine years in a sawmill as a lumber grader. And I had my kids. And then I wanted to go back to school to be a natural path. Because I always felt like healing was a big part of who I am. And because I was in a not-so-healthy relationship, I had to compromise and went to nursing school. And so I have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing. So while I work as an artist, I also work as a nurse, and I often combine those two, two ways of being in my healing journey. So I've been reflecting on fire back. And to me, it's like Otapem's walk. It's being the boss of myself. And it's reclaiming language, ceremony, spirituality, traditional values, and art. It's all interconnected and being connected to the land. So it's flower beadwork people. Just like the birds in nature, the men were often heavily beaded and the women not so much. And we beaded everything, our fire bags, our moccasins, leggings, jackets, vests, cummerbunds, hats, horse blankets, dog blankets, or tuppies they're called, tobacco pouches, baby moss bags. And just like the flowers that were taught to us by the French nuns, they also reflected the flowers that we use as medicines and that maybe we connected with on some spiritual level or emotional level in our families, in our nations. And so our style of beating is really similar to Anishinaabe and Gwich'in beating or Dene beating. As, as we moved across Canada in the fur trade, very, very closely resembles ours. They saw our beadwork, and as Dr. Uk Jis, who's Gwich'in, has researched almost overnight, his nation's beading style changed after seeing all our floral beadwork. So this beautiful, fascinating history and teachings that accompany my work, and I'm still picking them up, I've been beating now for over 10 years, probably about 13 years, since 2007. I learned to bead on my own from a hand-drawn instructions from Janine Crouchy. She's one of our master Métis beaters. She created the, uh, her and her mom beaded the 26-foot-long octopus bag at the Human Rights Museum in Winnipeg.
And then I picked up tips and tricks along the way. And then in 2016, Lisa Shepard agreed to mentor me. And my beadwork greatly improved from her skill set and knowledge. And now I am mentoring with Jamie Morse. She's also Métis on whitefish scale art, which is very Métis specific and specific to the area in which her family comes from, Lac La Biche area which I do have some relations there as well as Batoche, but mostly northern Saskatchewan. Sorry, Manny. Dear face chihuahua. It's okay, buddy. So all the parts of animals that we couldn't eat or use in some other way, it seemed like we turned them into art. And so whitefish scales can be removed, almost like sequins, after the the fish is harvested for consumption and we could use the bones as well for decoration and the scales can be washed dried and dyed and made into beautiful floral patterns it's the same with porcupine quills you know we can collect those quills from from the animal while they're still alive or if we ate them all those beautiful quills was what we would use before beads. There's also another thing called caribou hair tufting or moose hair embroidery and caribou hair sculpting, which Amy Melbuff will be mentoring me. She's another Métis artist, someone young, who's also had to do the same thing I've done, where she's had to pick up all these teachings via mentors or learning on her own. And so this is the, the impact of cultural genocide of the Métis rebellions of colonization. And so uh, my, my dad's generation and my grandma's generation and before that were just heavy, heavy, heavy oppressed years. And now my generation and my children we're able to feel the pride again and we're able to pick these things up but piece by piece we're learning them, relearning them so this is what it means to have my fire back because without all these pieces I don't feel whole I still don't feel whole and all these pieces help me to heal Help me heal seven generations back and seven generations forward. And so they're helping me on my healing journey. And they're also helping me to leave a legacy. As Christy Belcourt said, she didn't have anybody to teach her these things. And so she's the one who's leaving a legacy for those who come after her. And that's how I often feel. And so even though people in my family, my Métis family, don't really support me at least not knowingly nobody's asking me to make them things Um, I will I will I'll make those moccasins I'll keep picking up this knowledge and whoever wants to come to me to learn them I'll be ready and in the meantime I go around to communities and in schools and I share with those who ask me to share because what I pick up is meant to be shared It's not for me to hold on to and keep a secret. My late elder was very generous in his knowledge sharing. 
the late Leonard Ward and his elders taught him, now is the time to share. We had to protect so much as when things were illegal, the potlatches, the sun dances, so many things were burned, stolen, forcibly removed somehow or another, and so much was lost, but we believe nothing's ever lost, it goes to sleep. And then we have to do ceremony to wake them back up. So I fast and I offer my tobacco and I ask for the teachers who are willing to share with me in a good way that they arrive and so far they have. This is Sophie, my pesty. <laughs> I know you're waiting, you're waiting so well. And so I've come to this journey in a roundabout way. You know, part of me wonders, you know, should I, should I go back to art school? But I'm doing this traditionally. I'm seeking mentors and then I'm learning by doing. And the learning by doing teaches me so much about myself and about the materials. Because when I work with furs or when I work with the quills or I work with the fish scales, I'm connecting to the life of those animals and the land in which they lived or in the water in which they live. And I have to care for all those things. And I have to have relation. Just like the plants I bead are much easier to bead if I have a relation with them. One time I tried to bead a salmon berry and I, I had never seen one. I'd never tasted one. I had never had the experience of picking one. Or many. Because <laughs> I grew up on Duck Health territory near Stella. So I think I'm sharing all this is the importance of how much we have to overcome to arrive. You know, before any of our art is seen, maybe we have to move away from the kitchen table like I did and do a residency and have elders and other people acknowledge my gifts and start to ask me to share and talk about my gifts. I had to overcome low self-worth, believing that I have something of value to say, that it's okay to be seen and to be heard and to take up space. And so by having a show like Trajectories where you invited a few of us in different media allowed us to have that space to be seen and to be heard and you help to uplift each of us and every time that you can make space to uplift any of us is a win for all of us and I celebrate I celebrate every time an indigenous artist is featured in a magazine their art's on a wall and they're acknowledged not just like oh, here's a beautiful piece of Indigenous artist, but who's the artist? I don't know. And that's really often, as Métis people, we go unseen. And so many of our pieces in the museums are unlabeled, unidentified as Métis. It might just be like, we don't know which nation, but when we see it, we know. And that's very political, and it's very racialized. 
because we're half-breeds. But we're indigenous. And we have a beautiful, rich history. We have our own language. We have our own style of dance. We had amazing buffalo hunt parties on the prairies. We had beautiful relationships with other nations. We have a beautiful relationship with the land. And so I celebrate every single time that somebody chooses to take interest in my art, buy my art. When I get accepted into a show. And it's a very colonial world, the art world. There's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of who's, who knows who. And so going to school would be going to school in a colonial framework. And so I'm middle-aged and I could go back to school, but I'm choosing not to because I'm, I'm picking up so much more than I ever could in a classroom. So I'm going to keep working on my fire back as a two-spirit person, as a Métis two-spirit artist. And I'm taking a lifelong journey to pick up all our art forms and to do the work and to have those good relations with my mentors, with my elders, with the land. And I say that now and the lateral violence that I experienced, you know, I had to really look at how I perpetuate that. What, what, what does internalized oppression look like? And it's really painful. And it was painful to have somebody that I really respected and who taught me a lot hurt me. And so to get my fire back, to keep my fire strong, I just have to go back to ceremony, do the smudging, sing my songs, do my work, keep believing in myself, keep sharing, keep helping to uplift others. So I thank you for listening today to my narrative, to my story, a small part of my story, Epsis, a really small part. And from my heart to yours, I thank you. Ixamaga. Learning from Sharing, a series of voices on diversity, is produced by Two Rivers Gallery. Intro and outro music are composed by Kevin McLeod. And the amazing two-spirit artist we had the privilege of listening to today is Lynette LaFontaine. To learn more about Lynette, be sure to visit her website, linked in our show notes. To keep up to date on Two Rivers Gallery, our exhibitions and programs, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Learning from Sharing is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Thank you everyone for tuning in. We hope to see you next time.